0: On time and on budget. That's never really been the case for new military weapons systems. Not that they don't try. Now a new approach by the Army Futures Command, auditors say, could make things actually worse. Joining me with more, John Ludwigson, Acting Director for Contracting and National Security Acquisition Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Mr. Ludwigson, good to have you on. This is your first time with us, correct?
1: Yes, it is, Tom. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Well, congratulations on acting director. And after this, you'll probably get the acting removed.
1: Well, we'll see.
0: What were you looking at here? What is the Army Futures Command trying to do that GAO is issuing some caution about?
1: Well, so in 2017, the Army announced an effort to uh, begin the process of modernizing some of its equipment. They'd identified that there were some key areas where they needed enhanced capabilities to either maintain or reestablish a technological edge over potential adversaries. And these are these are areas like long-range precision fires and future vertical lift. And uh, so we examined the efforts aimed at long-term modernization, which really are the efforts to deliver product after about 2024. And uh, as we reported, we we said uh, that they they taken several steps, which included establishing cross-functional teams to put together a variety of different people with different backgrounds and perspectives to help, uh, among other things, develop uh, requirements for what the what the capability. Uh, need was. And uh, they also established the new command that you would mentioned, the Army Futures Command, to be headquartered in Austin, Texas. We did identify that they had uh, followed some leading practices in the areas of technology maturation, cross-functional teams, and organizational transformation. But as you said, we identified some concerns, including that the Army might choose to begin weapon system development before the technologies are mature to the levels that we believe are appropriate.
0: Well, in the technologies that they're dealing with, how do they get matured if the army doesn't buy them and try them? Because there's no commercial use for most of these, correct?
1: Sure. And we're not saying that they shouldn't uh, strive to advance technology. Rather, we think that you can advance technology through a science and technology effort or research and development uh, environment rather than doing that within a weapon system, uh, a formal weapons system. Because once you, once you commit to a weapon system, then you are as you'd mentioned earlier, uh, committing to a time frame and a budget. And sometimes technology doesn't mature uh, exactly as you might expect, which can lead to the kind of delays or or cost overruns that you'd mentioned. And we identified that one of their past efforts at uh, modernization, referred to as future combat systems, ran for nine years and, and resulted in $21 billion being spent, but equipment not being delivered to the warfighter.
0: Yeah, that one is was unfortunate, and uh, it had to do with, I guess, a networking approach to all of these weapons.
1: Well, they, they really established in future combat systems, and we didn't review that in this work. There's a body of work that looked at future combat systems over a number of years. But I think the, the high point is they set some aspirational goals in technology, and they just weren't able to mature those at that time.
0: So what is the traditional approach to getting that mature technology?
1: So what, what we ended up recommending in our report was that Army— Uh, demonstrate that the technologies work in in an operational environment. So something a lot like in the field where they would be operating uh, rather than the way Army has looked at it in the past, which is demonstrating those technologies in a relevant environment. And a relevant environment could be a a realistic laboratory setting. And we think that there's a long way between that realistic laboratory setting uh, and and actually being in the field. And I think making that leap sometimes takes time uh, and money. And those kinds of delays are problematic when you're dealing with a weapon system program.
0: Yeah, there's an old saw that says no battle plan ever survived the first encounter with the enemy. And so if you test something that seems really super duper in real field conditions, often that shows how inadequate it actually is. I remember the tanks many years ago sucking up sand into the turbines, and that was the end of that.
1: Yeah, and and I think a lot of this is actually trying to make sure you get The perspective of the user as well, right? So, uh, I mean, these are these, in many cases, these weapon systems are going to be used by soldiers, and being able to get it out and and have it tested um, by folks who are like the folks who are going to use it in the field uh, is critically important. That feedback can be very helpful in defining the final technology that you're going to use or the final configuration, form, fit, and function, as we refer to it.
0: We're speaking with John Ludwigson, acting director for contracting and national security acquisition issues at the Government Accountability Office. And just looking at the list of what it is they're testing here, long range precision fires, a combat vehicle, future vertical lift and the Army network and so on. Those don't sound like revolutionary new technologies, but more like evolutionaries on capabilities they've had for many years. Or am I missing something?
1: Well, no, I, I think you're right. The, you know, there has always been a need for a combat vehicle. There's always been a need for a vertical lift, which has traditionally been uh, you know, the, the helicopter that you, you see in whatever movie. Um, but I think what they're talking about, what Army is, is looking at is there are some areas where they're concerned that our near-peer competitors uh, in a potential uh, conflict have advanced their own technologies, and that where once we were far ahead of our, our near peers, uh, they're closer, or in some cases, they're concerned uh, that they may have uh, equipment that's nearly as good as ours. Long-range precision fires is the ability to project force at distance, right? So uh, it's important that we know how far they can shoot and that we be able to shoot ideally further.
0: Sure. So that's not a gambit to bring back the Crusader, is it?
1: Well, as, as you know, Crusader didn't necessarily Work out the way that they planned. Again, a a technology maturation and requirements issue, I think, to a great extent. But I think what they're trying to do is to develop the ability to accurately project force at distance. And I think that uh, there are a variety of different ways that they can do that. And that's part of the way that part of the way that they're trying to deal with long-range precision fires is getting together these cross-functional teams, a variety of people, which includes users and commanders to get around the table and talk about how you might get there.
0: Sure. So they have this Futures Command, and that's their vehicle for getting to these new technological horizons. What were your recommendations so that they could be more effective within the context of the Futures Command?
1: Well, uh, we had a a couple of suggestions relating to, and these are recommendations, not really suggestions, but recommendations relating to making sure that they capture some of the lessons learned from the cross-functional team pilots. Uh, These are the integrated uh, cross-functional entities where they've got users together with requirements writers and and others, uh, but they were in a pilot form. So they, they did go through the process of developing requirements for a couple of pieces of equipment and learned how to operate these CFTs, as we called them. And uh, we think that there's some opportunities to figure out what went well and, and areas to maybe avoid going forward. Uh, and so that was one, one recommendation area. The other, uh, or another recommendation area was as Army stands up uh, Army Futures Command, that they consider some of our past work looking at uh, organizational change because standing up a new command, and in this, this case, it's a, a four-star general leading it, so a four-star command is going to be complicated. They've allocated certain organizations to operate under Futures Command, but there are a lot of organizations with whom uh, Futures Command is going to have to work with, so these dotted lines, if you will. And I think getting making sure that you get uh, futures command itself right, and you get the organizational uh, uh, inertia going in the right direction with respect to the dotted lines is really important.
0: Sounds like maybe take things a little slower now so they can go much faster in the future.
1: I think getting, uh, making sure that you, uh, as as the carpenter says, measure twice and cut once. I think making sure that you get this process down in terms of how the organization is going to operate. And right now they've had commanders where there's a, a, a great deal of integration of uh, of thought. So uh, strong uh, leadership and uh, consistency across leadership, and leaders in DOD and, and the Army do change, and, and making sure that you sort of get those, uh, those relationships and that process down into policies and procedures rather than uh, individual personal relationships, I think, is very important as well as you, as you move through an organizational change like this.
0: But fundamentally, going with a more mature technology base for these systems... Could yield savings and closer to budget than they could by the way they're planning on doing it now
1: well right the the idea that they could proceed to at a lower level of technological maturity might feel like the right answer at some point because you know when you 're in a hurry, it seems like you should go faster, but in fact, I think what we've seen is that sometimes the best path forward is to especially when you're facing some capability concerns that uh, I think Army sees as urgent it's really important to get something fielded, and then you can always add on to it. So I think if you look back at, at the Abrams tank, for example, the Abrams tank that's uh, fielded in many parts of the world today is a different machine than the first Abrams that was fielded. It's been incrementally updated over time. Uh, and I think that some of these aspirational technology leaps that Army is striving for could be added on as they as they mature the technologies, rather than trying to get everything technologically, get those leap ahead technologies right now.
0: John Ludwigson is Acting Director for Contracting and National Security Acquisition Issues at the GAO. Thanks so much for joining
1: me. Thank you, Tom. We'll
0: post a link to his report and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. You think your dog deserves the best for the holidays. BarkBox knows they do. And the best is exactly what BarkBox delivers every month. You'll get fun-themed goodies curated for your dog, and you'll be joining a community of pups and their people. We're celebrating sugar season with a double batch of irresistible toys, treats, and chews from our Season Sweetings-themed box. To start spoiling your dog and get your free upgrade, visit BarkBox.com podcast.